You hear that? You hear it? Yeah, that's right. The Chaos Ball Podcast. It's back. A couple week hiatus, but I'm back. It was it was an expected hiatus, I guess you could say. I did say I probably wouldn't be putting out a pod in in a couple weeks. And in those couple weeks that I was not potting, the Mariners have done some stuff. I don't know if y'all have heard. Uh, some trades have happened. Some other things have happened. But I'm here to talk about all of it. So before hitting on the trades, and I would like to say, of course this happened. I record the podcast that's before Thanksgiving, and I say, well, I'm going to be gone for Thanksgiving, out of town. If anything big happens, I'm not going to be able to record. And then the next following week, uh, I was preparing to move. So I wasn't going to release a pod that week, and I did not. Uh, I have now successfully moved into my new place. I'm in my new area to record. Definitely quieter than my last place, which is very nice. A little bit more comfortable situation for my recording now, which is pretty nice. But point is, the next day, I released the pod. And the next day, I'm driving to my Thanksgiving destination, and I... I, I'm at a gas station. I'm getting gas. I've driven for like two hours at this point. I'm getting gas and I get a notification that the manager's made a trade because of course, I think I commented about this too on that episode. I was like, well, Jerry will probably do something right after I record a podcast. It is uncanny the timing that man has, or I guess the timing I have. So when this podcast drops, on December 8th, Friday. I'm expecting something to happen that night or like Saturday morning. That's big for the Mariners or during the episode right now while I'm recording on Thursday. We'll see, but that is where I'm at. Before talking about the trades, and there's three trades to talk about. There were there were a couple more trades, but there's three three big ones obviously. Before hitting on those, Soto just got dealt. So he's obviously not going to be a Mariner. I talked about him a little bit and what a Mariner's trade for him would would look like, but we knew that was kind of a long shot anyway, and that was obviously never going to happen. He goes to the Yankees, and I'm not going to say more about it. That trade just makes sense, Uh, and I can talk about it more if I have more time. This is going to be a pretty loaded episode. Uh, But also the thing that happened in the the couple weeks since the last podcast is the, uh, the Mariners were essentially ruled out of the Atani sweepstakes. Like, shortly after I released the last episode, uh, I think it was literally, like, that weekend or a few days after. And since then, they really haven't been mentioned with Otani, like, once. So, uh, safe to say, they're not really spending big on him. And and that was also a long shot, to be quite honest. Um, It came out today on Reddit, which, again... Not again. I, I don't think I've ever talked about Reddit on this podcast, but I'm, I'm not like 100% trusting of this. Allegedly, the Mariners offered Shohei Otani a one-year $65 million deal. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but it's hilarious. That's along the lines of what I said the Rockies should do and what Shohei should do. He should take a one-year $80 million to go hit a cooler for a year just to see what happens. But I wanted to mention that because it came out on Twitter today and it was just like, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if there's any merit to it, but it'd be pretty funny if they offered him that. Uh, cause I'm sure they have an offer. I, it, it was also detailed that they wanted to meet with him after the winter meetings. 
And so I don't think they're like 100% out on him. I just don't really think they're going to offer him anywhere close to the amount of money that like the Dodgers are going to offer him or even like the Angels. Honestly, I'm sure the Angels are trying to offer as much money as they can. Like the Red Sox, Giants, like I just don't really see the managers offering him more money. So, And then before really getting into things, uh, there was a quote that came out from the photo uh, and this was reported by Jeff Passan that according to um, according to Jeff that the Mariners blanched at the contracts offered in the Otani bidding war, and then the Mariners realized they were shopping at Nordstrom and not the Rack. The already slim chances of signing baseball's two-way unicorn dwindled to microscopic. So it's I really it's not going to happen. I haven't said it's going to happen. I still think he's a Dodger. But that all but cemented it, and that just sucks to read. But you know, what are you gonna do? I like Jeff. I like Jeff. Uh, or I think I think I think it was the Divish article mentioning Jeff Passan. But I like the I like the Seattle nod there. Nordstrom, not the rack. I love Nordstrom rack. I just want to get that clear. The Casball Podcast, pro Nordstrom rack podcast. Uh, and then one more thing, Jung Ho Lee. He's still available. Jerry, John, Stanton, Chairman. Justin Hollander, anyone else, and the rest of you miserable, miserable fucks in the ownership group up there on your ivory tower of cheap, cheap, I don't even know, I don't even know where I'm going with this, give Jung-Ho Lee some money, please, I, I beg of you, if you're not going to give me Soto or Otani, and you're going to trade away players that I like, please sign Jung-Ho Lee for me, that's all I ask, all right, now, why we're here. We're going to talk about the Luis Urias trade. We're going to talk about the Eugenio Suarez trade. We're going to talk about the Jared Kelnick trade, the rest of the winter meetings in terms of Mariners, and where we're at after all of this has happened, where we are, where I am as a fan, where I am as a, I'm not a baseball analyst, but where I'm at, where I'm at in terms of how I think of the team and where do the Mariners go from here. So let's just let's just get into it. So, shortly after the last podcast released, the Seattle Mariners agreed to a trade with the Boston Red Sox. They would send the Red Sox relief pitcher Isaiah Campbell, mustache haver Isaiah Campbell, Rex Specs wearer Isaiah Campbell, to the Boston Red Sox in exchange for infielder Luis Urias. At the time... I mean, even like right now, looking at it in a vacuum, I really like this trade. Uh, I'm not, I've talked about this a lot. I'm not really worried about giving up a bullpen arm, uh, especially because Isaiah Campbell wasn't, I really liked what I saw from him last year, but it's not like he was going to be a super high leverage guy this year. And even if he, he is, I mean, the Mariners can replace that. I'm not worried about them giving up bullpen arms. I've talked about it so much that they can produce them in house pretty easily and they've proven that they can do that so they're trading from a strength here which i think is ultimately a very good thing and i like getting urias in a vacuum especially because he can play so many different positions i mean he can play all of the infield essentially which is very useful and there's pretty decent upside and the guy's only 26 Uh, i remember urias as a prospect i mean he's the top prospect for the padres coming up as a middle infielder, but I remember him being almost exclusively a second baseman, at least when he got closer to being called up and there was talk of what he would do at the major league level. I mean, it was kind of exclusively a second baseman. 
Uh, but he went to the went to the Brewers in the Trent Grisham trade. I think there were other pieces of that trade that I'm forgetting, but I know Trent Grisham was um, one of the guys going back to San Diego in that trade. And Luis struggled a bit. He struggled a bit out of the gate, um, but then he had a solid, solid 2021 campaign. Uh, kind of saw what what people liked about him as a prospect. Uh, it was a above average walk rate. It was a below average K rate. Really good feel for the zone and contact. Uh, put together a fine slash line. Had a 112 WRC plus. 2.1 war, and then the following season, he kind of did the same thing. He played less games but put up more war in that time. Uh, he looked similar, honestly, quite similar. Uh, power, power dipped a little bit, but uh, he played less games, so that makes sense. I think his per-game power was similar. Uh, and then 2023, he really struggled to stay healthy. 2022, he got hurt as well, um, and that carried over into 2023. And he didn't manage to stay healthy. And when he was on the field last year, it wasn't great. It was not great. Didn't really look right. Um, so uh, there's upside. There's upside with a guy who has former top prospect pedigree, and we've seen kind of what he can do well at the big league level in 2021, 2022, and then down year last year. So value is a little bit low. Uh, but the upside of him is, I mean, again, solid approach at the plate, hit for average, play a lot of positions in the infield, really good feel for the zone, great contact ability, sound familiar <laughs> to like every other infield acquisition, particularly the second base that DePoto's made in his tenure. It is it's very similar. Um, I like the move. I just like this move uh, for upside and positional versatility alone. I mean, if he can provide 100 to 115 OPS plus production uh, with making contact, not striking out a ton, drawing a good amount of walks while serving as a utility infielder for the team, that's great. Uh, that's great for that's great for him. That's great for the team. If if he can do that, I'll have to really delve into his numbies uh, and see if. Any peripherals have standard stood out from last year, but it's not super big sample. Uh, and I think we kind of know what type of player he is. He doesn't have the most power. Uh, I feel like his power upside is 20, 25 home runs max. And in Seattle, as um, in Seattle as a as a right-handed hitter, like maybe some more, but I, I doubt it. And losing Isaiah Campbell, like the the losing Isaiah Campbell side of this again is like whatever. Um, I liked Isaiah Campbell, but I think he's replaceable, and the Mariners have proven that they can replace a guy like that. This trade, and I'm doing these trades in chronological order for a reason because I really liked this trade just while it happened. Obviously, it was like, well, they're gonna do more than this. And Luis, as a utility infielder with the upside of potentially a good uh, average hitter and guy who's just going to be on base, that's a good thing. However, the next move I'm going to talk about basically cemented that he's going to be probably the starting third base on opening day, which I'm not super thrilled about. And we'll talk about this one. Then Jerry made this trade. 
a Eugenio Suarez, and this was very shortly after the Luis Suarez trade. Um, was it the same day? Am I remembering that correctly? I think it was. I think it was the same day. Uh, the Seattle Mariners. They sent Eugenio Suarez, a Eugenio Suarez, to the Arizona Diamondbacks in exchange for catcher Sebi Savala and relief pitcher Carlos Vargas. Sad. I am sad. This trade made me very sad. It made everyone else sad, too. It wasn't just me, obviously. Even if, and I do this when I look at baseball quite often, set my emotions aside. Even if I set my emotions aside for a second and look at this trade objectively, I still think it's lame as fuck. You trade a useful, albeit aging, third baseman who just played slightly above average ball for 162 games last year, at least at the plate. Phenomenal defense. Uh, You trade him for a backup catcher. Again, cementing also that Tom Murphy is probably not coming back to the team, which also sucks. And you get that, a backup catcher, and a relief arm to essentially get off $11 million next season and then a club option of $15 million in 2025. So realistically, if they were viewing him like this, they wouldn't have picked up that option. So they saved $11 million next year. That's really not that much money for, like again, a, a useful player on your team, not an amazing player and an aging for sure. But it's also just hard to find guys who are like iron men like this anymore. I'm always going to vouch for a player that, that posts like a hitter or a pitcher, a guy who maybe isn't going to give you amazing production, but you can always pencil them in to make their starts. Like it was absolutely, it must've been awesome for Scott service the past two years like, he must have had way less of a lineup headache every day the past two seasons to not even think about who's playing third base that day. You know Gino's playing third base. That's pretty valuable to have a guy who is there day in, day out playing and not being terrible. Like, there's a reason he can play all those. Like, I feel like his floor is a fine player at this point with some upside with still still power. There's still power there. And I will admit, when it's not going right, when when Eugenio Suarez is in a slump, it's ugly. It's some of the ugliest baseball you'll watch. But still, overall, useful player on a team that needs players like this who are useful and not below average and a team who's thin in the lineup. Now... Bringing my emotions back in to this trade, as well as the objective analysis I just gave you, I hate this trade. I hate it. Gino is the ultimate clubhouse guy. S-tier dugout presence and teammate, fan favorite, and he's gone. He is now gone on the Diamondbacks. At least Diamondbacks garnered a lot of goodwill last season, so we can kind of root for them with uh, Paul Seawald also on the team. If you're looking for another team to root for next year, that's not the Mariners. I ultimately respect that decision, depending on how the offseason goes. Root for the Snakes. Go full bore for the Snakes. But this is sad. Like, along with this just being meh from a baseball perspective, you lost so much goodwill from the fans, including myself, with this trade. Because you obviously, it's a it's it's a salary dump for not that much salary. I salute Gino. His last two years were just awesome. Uh, 
like one of my all-time favorite mayors on Vibes Alone. Like I'm gonna miss him a lot just being around. And it really sucks. Uh, you get Sebi Savala out of this trade again, who is going to be the backup next year, presumably. Um, that's fine. I think Sebi Savala is a fine catcher. Defensively, I think he's going to be a really valuable backup. Um, d- different from Tom Murphy, I think Tom Murphy provided a lot more upside from an offensive perspective. I think Sebi is going to be uh, really going to be able to handle the pitching staff on Kyle's off days, which is a good thing. Uh, and then Carlos Vargas, a relief pitcher who really good stuff, just can't, just does not know where it's going. Uh, just a, like really nasty, nasty shit, um, but just has no idea where he's throwing it. And maybe the Mariners can figure that out with him and have him become a solid piece in the bullpen. Still just an absolutely lame return for, a, a, again, a, a a stalwart of the lineup the past two years in terms of he played every day. He played every day. And how much did he do in the clubhouse to kind of bring everyone together? It's intangible. Intangible. And also, I loved him. And every other fan loved him. He was a fan favorite for a reason. And he's gone now in a shameless salary dump. So that's that trade. And like after a shameless salary dump like that, you think the team can't make you any more angry than they already have and you'd be so wrong and i was wrong see when you dump salary i generally think moves follow that and i thought maybe a maybe a nice move was going to follow this one i was like well they dumped 11 million and they theoretically have money to spend going into the offseason on top of that dumped 11 million so like cuz depoto made it seem at the start of the offseason like they they had their payroll is going to be higher than it was this season. And you get rid of $11 million next year for Gino. And you take on some million from Sebi and Sebi and, and Carlos Vargas as well. So I don't know. It's modest estimate. You got you gain seven to eight million out of this trade. And that leaves you with, I don't know, if they had twenty million going to the offseason, which is a very what I would have thought modest estimate, but looking back, maybe that was even too much. 20 30 ish million to spend after this nope that's just not true uh the corresponding move that happened as as the mariners and everyone else arrived at the winter meetings and they were doing winter meetings things the mariners announced another trade this time with the atlanta braves out of left field literally out of left field they traded with the atlanta braves in a deal that tore up Mariners Twitter like I've never seen it before. The Seattle Mariners send Jared Kelnick, Evan White, and Marco Gonzalez to the Atlanta Braves in exchange for Jackson Coar and Cole Phillips. Jackson Coar, a pitcher, relief pitcher. Cole Phillips, a starting pitching prospect. Guys, come on. What are we doing? What are we doing? Uh, after this trade happened and I will get into more details of the players leaving and coming and all that whatever another shameless salary dump after an already shameless salary dump it was more clear than ever that this front office has been severely limited by the ownership group because even and there I'm going to read some comments 
some comments that are fairly insightful from uh, Scott Service and from Jerry Depoto about their current situation. And it, it's never been more evident to me that ownership is tightening the purse for whatever reason. Is it their Xfinity dropping root sports and they're scared about their huge revenues and profits receding a little bit? Maybe that's what it is, and that's pretty cowardly, but they are billionaires and multimillionaires, so that's not really surprising. But they, they send Jared Kelnick as the martyr to sacrifice Evan White and Marco Gonzalez's contracts after already dumping Eugenio Suarez's contracts. Now they've cleared plenty of money off the books. I guess you can look at it that way. This trade was legitimately shocking to me. The Eugenio trade, it it was surprising and took me aback because of how much I liked the man, but it, it made more sense at least than this trade. And that trade still, I, I said it five minutes ago, I didn't like it. Even from a baseball perspective without loving Eugenio, I didn't like it. This trade is so demoralizing. And I have talked so much about Jared Kelnick since the offseason began. I think Jared Kelnick, even Eugenio Suarez to an extent, I think they're liked a lot more than they're good on the field at this point in the fan base, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think I think Jared Kelnick... As much as Julio is like the golden boy, I guess, he's more just the superstar and the god of the team. I feel like Jared Kelnick is the original golden boy of the Jared Depoto era. He was the first guy, because they made that trade with the Mets, he was the first guy, and this was before Julio was really rising through the ranks as a prospect. Jared Kelnick was the guy that was like, he's going to save the franchise. Top prospect in a blockbuster trade. He's the golden boy. It hasn't really panned out. He kind of put things together last season, and I've talked about it. Put it put things together is doing a lot of lifting there, but he, I think, in a lot of fans' eyes, is was supposed to, along with Julio, take this franchise to new heights. Despite seeing the failures on the field the last three seasons, I think there was still so much hope in this man becoming an all-star, superstar-type player. Will that ever happen? I don't know. I've been super skeptical, and I've been very vocal that I don't think that was ever going to happen. But not like this, Jerry. I didn't just mean ship him off in a salary dump. That's not what I meant. My entire stance on Jared Kelnick was I don't think the Mariners should pencil him in as a starting left fielder. That's been my stance for a year and a half now since the start of last offseason after they made the playoffs. I <laughs> or before, before uh 2022 season, even longer. I just I don't I saw him as the fourth outfielder on a contending team at at best. And now he's on the Braves. And you sacrifice him with... He still has a lot of upside. I mean, we've seen what Jared Kelnick can do to a baseball when he connects with it. He has insane raw power. Uh, He made some tweaks to his swing last year. He looked insanely good in April. And then had four months of bad. Kicked a cooler, broke his foot, and that derailed the season. 
a weird player for sure, but he's also the upside is is I feel like always going to be there. Like the upside, I think for Kelnick will be there until he exhausts his seven years of rookie deal and arbitration. And I didn't want him to get traded like this, man. I I didn't want this. So you trade Kelnick to get off of Evan White and Marco Gonzalez's contracts to get Jackson Cower, who does nothing for me, and then Cole Phillips, who has a really good fastball, and maybe he can become something at the major league level uh, in the Mariners' pitching lab that they have for these pitching prospects. But, God, it's the same with the Eugenio Suarez trade. While Jared Kelnick, maybe he was just going to be league average next season, and that's what he is for the rest of his career. That's still not bad. That's still better than what the Mariners currently have. You are trading from a significant positional weakness in corner outfield. You traded a useful player again in Jared Kelnick to get off of contracts that aren't even that big. Evan White was owed, I think, seven, like $15 million in the next two years, and Marco Gonzalez was owed twelve next year. And then I, I think that was it for his deal. So with the contracts coming back, including like Urias, they saved, I think, with all three of these deals, like $25 million next year, which that can be one player. And like that's not really that much money, especially after like you – I just – I can't believe they made this Kalanick trade. I really can't believe it. It can – like especially because of the positional weakness thing. They have no one in the corners right now. They have Julio in the center, and in the corners they have Sam Haggerty, Dylan Moore, Cade Marlowe, Zach DeLoke, who's going to make his debut next year. Taylor Trammell is hanging around, I think, in the org still. Who else is going to play in the corners? Like, obviously, it's still fairly early in the offseason. There's plenty of stuff that could happen after these trades. But boy, is it a bad spot right now. It feels like I'm in like we're in limbo because they've made these trades. The team is definitely worse than it was since the season ended. And now we just wait and hope they can address these problems and make the team better going into next year than it was this year. And right now, it is, I think, substantially worse right now than it was going into this season last season, 2023. This is a supremely disappointing trade. Back-to-back trades of two very useful players, especially on the Mariners, a team who desperately need offense. If Eugenio and Jared Kelnick were to win 100 OPS-plus players next year who played most of the year, that's way better than what the Mariners currently have. Those are useful players. Useful and Kelnick still has that upside. As much as I am a skeptic, there's still that upside. There's still that tantalizing. Oh, what if? And if he puts it together on the Braves, he puts it together on the Braves. I hope he does. I I really hope he does. I just can't believe they made this trade. Uh, but as I said earlier, after this trade, it was so evident that the front office is struggling with what they're being given right now, especially after the comments that have been made because of this. So I'm going to read three quotes and excerpts of articles 
to really highlight what I'm talking about. And I'm sure if you haven't seen these, then good, I'm reading them. But I'm sure if you've been on Mariner's Twitter, you've heard these. I just want to go over them. This was from a Divish article. DePoto's initial offseason plan that featured a much higher budget payroll budget after a season where the team drew 2.7 million fans had to be amended. Quote, we've had two avenues that we could have tried, DePoto said on Monday. One was if we didn't do some of the things that we've done recently, and the other was if we did some of the things we've done recently. End quote. So basically, if DePoto and GM Justin Hollander wanted to spend money to improve the team's roster, they needed to free up some money by removing some contracts already on the roster, i.e. a Eugenio Suarez and Evan White and Marco Gonzalez. Take a sip of my tea real quick. Okay, next excerpt. Jerry DePoto and manager Scott Service confirmed what was suspected and reported in the days leading up to the annual MLB winter meetings. This is still divish, by the way. And verified with Sunday's salary dumping trade to the Braves, they needed to free up money on their roster to spend money this offseason. Of course, neither came out and said publicly that the Mariners' ownership group, led by Chairman John Stanton and the influential minority leader and my new arch enemy, Chris Larson, dropped an unexpected lump of coal into their off-season plans, giving them a severely reduced payroll budget. They can't say it publicly or even privately, but it was there in their comments. And this is the comment I'm talking about. This was the one where it's like, oh, oh, fuck. They just said the thing without saying the thing. Quote, Things shifted maybe a couple of weeks into the off-season on where we were headed and why we were headed there based on different circumstances that came up. Some of it was within our control. Some of it's not within our control on how you're going to shape your team going forward. I mean, come on. We know what he said. Things shifted a couple weeks into the offseason. Yeah, that means the budget set out for the offseason shifted down. The ownership group was like, nah, nah, Jerry. Sorry, Justin. Sorry, Scott. You know all that money we promised you? It's not there. You're going to have to uh, find it somehow. Uh, and they did. I mean, they did. They got rid of useful players in an effort to salary dump uh, to free up what measly money they're allowed to spend at all to improve the team. And they're worse off for it as a baseball team. Uh, the last quote I want to I want to say is from Scott Service again. Uh, understands the current skepticism from the fans. He says... We do have a young team that is exciting. We do want to take the next step to win. And again, we're trying to do the best with the cards that we've been dealt, I guess is the best way to say it. End quote. It's never, uh, I, for as PRE, PR expert E as the way like Hollander and DePoto and, and service is a little bit spicier, but Hollander and DePoto are generally very good at just tempering like, saying a whole lot of something that's nothing in an effort to not shit on their ownership. And Scott service comes in here and is like, we're doing our best with the cards. We've been dealt things shifted. Uh, we got to do what we got to do. That's essentially saying, well, ownerships put us in a really tough spot. This is really depressing. It's not really anything that I'm surprised by, but it really 
really sucks. And again, I'm recording this and no moves have happened since the Kelnick trade. They're going to do something because if they don't do anything significant to improve this team, there is no reason anyone should spend their money going to a Mariners game next year. There is zero, like, there is no reason to support this team if they promise you the world after a really promising season last year and underwhelmed since then, temper spending. It's just so frustrating. And unfortunately, not at all surprising from an ownership group. So essentially where I'm at is I'm, I'm getting the sense from this entire offseason and the past two years that ownership is really, really more to blame for a lot of the issues with this team than the front office or, man, or management. It's been so apparent this offseason just based on those comments like having their plans change. And like, I, I don't think, I think those guys, DePoto and Hollander, I think those guys know what good baseball players are. And I think those guys know that dumping salary with useful players attached is not really the best thing for the team to be doing at this stage of their team building slash window. But it just seems like they have to do that to free up money to spend Otherwise, they're not going to be able to do much. It's never been more obvious to me that ownership wants to squeeze as much profit from this team as possible, doesn't care about winning, and just overall sucks. However, while ownership sucks, people have found ways to win with limited budgets. And like maybe maybe DePoto just isn't that guy. It's, it's tough to judge, but there's so many t- examples of this across baseball. And I think there are, you know, presidents of baseball operations, GMs, there's front office people that I think are better off winning with a smaller budget than they are with a bigger budget. Uh, No names come to mind immediately when I'm thinking of like guy you want to hire to win with a small budget. I, I just think there are people who possess skills to do that better than others. And then there's guys who really can can build you a pretty winning team if you give them a long leash and let them spend. Like Dave Dombrowski is the prime example of that. Dave Dombrowski will trade all of his prospects and spend a shit ton of money in an effort to win a World Series. And it's worked. And it's come close with this Phillies team. And they're not done. Their window is fully open. Uh, where, where was I? It's... It's, it's super hard to make that determination of how well the job DePoto is doing from an external view and how much stuff goes on internally that we don't know. But he's done a lot of things right and is so clearly hampered by ownership and the money. Uh, so there's that option where DePoto might just not be the guy for this. Or it's another option that I've talked about before, that DePoto is fine with the status quo He is fine keeping his paycheck coming while completely following ownership's guidelines of spending with like little to no pushback. Like who truly knows? But right now it's, it's clearly more evident than ever to the fan base that ownership is probably the most to blame and the most like we should direct our anger at ownership first and foremost. And 
I think this. I think Depoto being okay with the status quo and keeping his job and just like saying spewing just bullshit to the fans that were committed to winning. Maybe he's. Maybe he is that guy. Maybe he's the perfect president of baseball operations for John Stanton and this ownership group. Because I think there are guys who are just going to be like, okay, yeah, I can do that for you. I can keep the budget under this and still build a decent team that gets the fans to the ballpark, that gets enough excitement to make money and continue making money. I can do that for you. And he's now done that. It took him a little while, uh, but the team was in pretty dire straits when he took over. And they went through a complete rebuild, and now they're here. And so I don't want to just shit on DePoto like that, but maybe that's true. I don't, I just, I, it's so hard to say. And the issue I have, if that's the case, that's really frustrating. But then also if DePoto, like, if he's just bad at building a winning team with not a big budget, which he's built a winning team at least, but it's not like a contending World Series team, part of his job Part of the job of the front office, specifically GM, Pobo, whatever, whoever the highest ranking person in the front office is, part of their job is to nudge the owner in the right direction of spending. I think there's absolutely some some people out there who are really good at this. And maybe Depoto's also just not good at that. Maybe he's tried and failed because maybe he needs more experience in trying to get ownership to spend in different places. Maybe it's not in his nature to be like that. Or again, maybe he's just okay with, okay, you set the budget. You set, you set the budget, dad. I will, I will follow it to the letter and not spend a dime over it. John, I don't know. It's hard to say, but it's depressing as a fan. Like the momentum with this team started in 2021 with randomly winning 90 games, fun differential, all that missing the playoffs. I mean, they missed the playoffs. Sure. But they won 90 games and they looked to build on it and they did that by winning 90 games again. But the team on paper was better. You had young guys break through like Julio and Kirby and Logan Gilbert looked great. Kyle Raleigh. You had this young core forming into a good team that went on to win a playoff series. And break the 20-year-long drought. And then going into the 2022 offseason, after they got knocked out of the playoffs, even, even then, I don't think the vibes could have been better than they were at that point. The team didn't have much money committed long-term. Theoretically, they were about to open the purse augment the roster with with star talent to go along with this young cheap controllable core they've built and really go for a world series and they didn't do that instead they you know they cheaply tried to fill holes on the team and that didn't really work and you ended up in almost the same spot as last season but won 88 games and missed the playoffs this year and then you watch a division rival go on and win the World Series. It's at, it's at that point after the 2022 season ended, when the vibes couldn't have been better, when free agency started right after the playoffs ended, that the entire organization needs to be on the same page to truly try and win the World Series. 
give the city a reason to 100% buy into the team and commit yourself to winning a championship and like really positively impacting millions of people's lives. It was the start of the 2020-22 offseason that that should have happened. That is the pivotal point in this organization that everyone top down needs to be aligned with the same goal and commitment. And a little more than a year after that crucial crucial off-season start it's been so downhill in terms of vibes and everything clearly the organization from the players all the way up to the manager front office chairman ownership group is not on the same page about winning a championship and being committed to doing that and it starts from the top like plain and simple it starts from the top so it's clearly where the biggest problem lies and like we kind of knew this. We knew this going into this offseason. Last offseason, there was still some optimism. We kind of knew that was what the team was anyway. But there was so much more optimism because they were like, yeah, we're going to spend. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then they did it. And then there was a disappointing season. And then going into this offseason, we, we knew they were going to be cheap. But there was still room to grow. But everything this team has done since the season ended, missing the playoffs by like a game, everything they have done has only fueled the fans' anger. The DePoto comes out and talks about doing the fans a favor and winning 54% of their games over the next decade. Something you should keep internal. Big mistake, buddy. And then they make a series of trades, dumping useful useful major league players who were well-liked to clear salaries off the books. And now we're just left to wonder if they'll actually make any meaningful moves to improve the team. Because at this point in the offseason, they're worse. They are worse than they were last year. They are worse than when the season ended. And I think I think DePoto has a plan. Like I, You don't make those trades without a plan. Even if their plans had to change, even if their budget had to change, I still think they have a plan. Like, I don't think DePoto and Hollander are stupid. I think they know what a good baseball team looks like. But there's clearly so many constraints that are preventing them from executing maybe their plan A. They might be on plan E at this point, for all we know. But also, he probably had a plan last off season. And when you get dealt like a set amount of money to spend and a hard budgetary ceiling, I think, you know, it doesn't really help you in accomplishing your goals. But also I think sometimes, you know, plans just, even if you had all the money in the world, plans don't go according to what you think they're going to. That's just the nature of life, obviously. Uh, and I just don't think they have enough resources capable, like at their disposal to, pivot hard and do something else that'll really, you know, that'll really improve the team. Like, I feel like they have a plan or two. And if that doesn't work out, I don't know what they do. Just all I ask from the team, from the ownership group, from everyone involved, stop acting like you're the fucking Cleveland guardians. Stop acting like you are the Pittsburgh pirates. Stop acting like this. You're not broke. You're acting like you're broke as fuck. Act like you actually care about the fans. Act like you actually have money, like you do. Act like you care about winning a championship. If not, sell the team. I am so 
I am so, so tired of this. This is where, this is the window is, is slammed open. You have this team with a really exciting core of players. Julio Rodriguez, you have one of the game's most exciting, best players. You have J.P. Crawford, just that career season. You have Kyle Raleigh, who's already cementing himself as a clubhouse leader and probably will go down as the best catcher in Mariners history. You have a three-headed monster in the rotation of Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby. And then you also just have a clear organizational strength of you can have a great bullpen every year and produce really good pitching. And then past that, it's tough. But those pieces should be enough for you to go out and win and be committed to winning. And it's clear that the ownership does not give a shit about that. So where do we stand after all of this? Where does the team stand? I mean, like I just said, it's a very solid team in terms of core pieces. But it's after after that, it's such a steep fall off. Like, who are our best hitters right now? Julio, Cal, JP. Obviously, those are probably your three best hitters right now. I guess Ty France is probably your fourth best hitter. Is Luis Urias your fifth best hitter right now? That is sad. That is so sad. I am so worried that this team is going to waste the careers of all these phenomenal young players they've brought up and developed. I'm so worried about that. The worst part is if they were truly committed to winning last offseason or even the offseason before, I don't want to go back to Marcus Simeon. I feel like I talk about him every freaking episode. But if they were committed to winning from 2021 on and you go into like last season with a better team and you make the playoffs and you make a run, like you never know what could happen. The worst part about last season is that every important player was pretty healthy for most of the season. All of those guys I mentioned of the core, they were so healthy last year. They couldn't have been more healthy. And that's what I worry about. You go into the 2024 season, no matter what moves they make from now until the start of the season, one freak injury to Julio Rodriguez, and I think the season's over. One one Tommy John, knock on wood, for George Kirby, and, and you're screwed. Like, look what happened to Aaron Judge. Julio, Julio runs into a wall and breaks his toe. And he's out for three months. There you go. There's the offense. Gone. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried this team does not give the front office enough resources to mitigate risk. I've been very clear about that. They haven't been able to mitigate risk. And it worries me. And so where we're at, we're not in a good place. They have to improve the team. The team is substantially worse than they were a month ago and it's it's worrisome the depth is worrisome even the pitching depth now is slightly worrisome they have to do something um but that's where we're at so i got a couple more things to talk about before the episode's over the rule five draft happened marriage didn't take anyone surprising they had i think they have four roster spots open so i'm surprised they didn't take someone but i'm not like, who cares? It's the Rule 5 draft. 
Uh, Zach DeLoke, I talked about, I teased it a little bit earlier in the episode. DePoto said uh, he's likely to make his debut next year. I think that's rational. I think even before the Kelnick trade, I would have expected that. He's been knocking on the door in AAA. Uh, had a pretty decent season down there. I think he's fine. Struck out a tremendous amount down there, so I can't imagine it's going to look good in the big leagues, but I think he's a decent hitter, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, what else happened? Ty France. Ty France is at driveline. Ty France uh, is at driveline. JP promised he'd bring him there, and he delivered. So that's really encouraging. Love to see that. What else happened? Uh, the Reds just signed uh, Hamar Candelario. They sure have a lot of infielders, don't they? Trade, huh? Could they trade someone? I don't know. Again, Reds, perfect trade partner for the Mariners. Mariners need infielders and hitters. Reds need pitching. Mariners have pitching. Reds have infielders. It makes too much sense. Like, Jonathan India to the Mariners is the kind of underwhelming trade that the front office would, would sell us on like it's a blockbuster. That's It's the perfect moving-the-needle type of trade for the front office to really sell the fans on. Uh, there was a lot of Rays talk at the winter meetings to trade with the Rays. Because apparently the Rays are open to trading Randy Rosarena. Uh, Isak Paredes was a name thrown around. Like, there was reports of the Mariners and the Rays being talking about a trade. And it looked like it could have been Randy and Isak for whatever and uh, it hasn't gone through. It didn't go through. Maybe it never will because maybe those guys are deemed too expensive. They're not, but uh, maybe they are too expensive. I don't know. What else? What else happened? What else is fun? Oh, journalists are mad at Otani for wanting to be as silent as possible uh, for this this offseason and signing and meeting with teams. Like He wants no one to leak stuff. He wants to do it his own way. It's so funny to see reporters uh, complaining about this. It's funny as hell, honestly. It's so lazy from reporters to complain about this. They're only complaining because they can't scoop stuff. They can't. They can't write a useless article that Otani has met with the Dodgers when everyone knows he's met with the Dodgers. This is almost more fun to not know what he's thinking and not know. There's so much mystery. I think that's fun. I think there's been so many complaints about the offseason being slow. And I think it's because the last two offseasons weren't quite as slow. They were they bucked the trend of MLB offseason and they're they're kind of fun. They're decently paced. Uh twenty twenty one, it's cause they had the lockout and there was an artificial deadline to sign players and stuff. And then last year it was it was just well paced. they they had the new CBA. Uh they had that like money from the thing they sold to like the military or whatever. Uh, and it was really well paced. There were a lot of big signings. Part of it, I think Carlos Chris signed like 10 times. So that was just, you know, article after article for these reporters. And now it's been, you know, kind of boring. And I think teams are waiting for Otani domino to fall before making any other big moves. And reporters are mad because they actually have to do real work and like really work for a scoop on Otani. If they want to write about Otani, it's so funny to see them complain about it. Uh, my one, my one suggestion for MLB: Why does why does free agency start right after the World Series ends? Have it start at the winter meetings. Shift the winter meetings. Let's have the winter meetings December fifteenth to December twentieth. Five days. 
And let's have the offseason not begin until December 15th, that same night. I mean, if you give teams like... Because players aren't going to want to... If you were playing in the playoffs and you're a free agent, you're not going to want to negotiate with teams right after the World Series ends. There's always a huge lull, despite the offseason beginning. So I think what MLB should do is say, hey, free agency in the offseason is not going to start until December and then there's going to be a, bam, start date, winter meetings, and that's when shit can pop off if it wants to. That's my suggestion to make the offseason better. I think that's it. I could talk so – I could keep talking in circles about how this organization frustrates me, but the main talking points is they got rid of useful players to dump contracts that weren't significant amounts of money – uh, they didn't need to get rid of those players like Eugenio and Jared Kelnick. They simply didn't need to get rid of them. Uh, the money they're saving is not very much at all. In the grand scheme of things, uh, ownership is cheap as hell. This team is depressing. Some random thoughts to end on. Juan Soto is younger than Josh Young. Rookie Josh Young on the Rangers. Juan Soto is younger than him. I want to remind you all of that. What's really more valuable, Shohei Otani or 20 Luis Urieses? Riddle me that. You know who loves to hit in Seattle? Mike Trout. Mike Trout loves hitting in Seattle. Let's trade for him. huh? Let's do that. What if the Mariners are just negging Otani? What if they're just like, no, we don't actually want you, dude. We don't want you at all. We're not even interested. And Otani's like, oh, wait, hold on. You're not interested? That makes me want you more. What if that uh, DePoto and Hollander, they're playing 4D chess and Otani's playing checkers? They're, they're just on a different plane right now. And then the last item I have, my last random note, Ichiro. I wrote Ichiro, and I think it's because he threw a complete game shutout against a girls team in Japan, and, and there were videos of him pumping sliders, and he looked nasty. So Ichiro. I want to end the episode by saying Ichiro. Uh, thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, probably an episode next week. We'll see. I might get back into regular uploading, although it's still the off season. If it's super slow this week, then maybe not. Still going to play it by ear, but either way, I appreciate you listening. If you're still hanging on, appreciate you listening to me complain about the Mariners, and I can offer you a lot of that this off season. So thank you so much. Have a good rest of your week. I guess go Mariners, um, I guess, but more importantly, fuck the ownership, sell the team.